may be seated. If you've got a Bible, open it up. We are in James 1 again today, James chapter 1, verses 2 through 18. Now, I'm going to start by praying. After that, we're going to read the text like we normally do, but I'm going to insert some comments because sometimes it's hard to follow the connections with James. So I'm going to insert some comments as we read to try to show how these paragraphs all relate to each other. Before we do that, let's ask God for help. Father, oh please, (laughs) we lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and earth. We're not asking help from anyone. We're asking help from you, O Lord, who made all things. Please help us now. For your glory's sake, in Christ, and it's through him we ask. Amen. Okay. Here we go, starting in verse 2 of James chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So James is telling us trials are coming. You should count it all joy when they do. They're going to produce steadfastness in in you. And if in the middle of a trial you realize, oh God, if I'm going to endure, I need wisdom, then you should ask God. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And now James is going to talk about a kind of trial that tests our faith and shows whether we are double-minded, double-souled people. He's going to talk about money. Money is a test. It's a big test for whether you love God or love, the, love this world. Verse 9, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he'll pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. So if you look at the fact that you're poor, and you have no money, and you think, well, my life doesn't matter, because in the eyes of this world, I don't have much. If that's your perspective when you're poor, you have failed the test. Because if you have Jesus, you're as rich as you could possibly be. And on the other hand, if you have money, and you pursue the world with it, you've failed the test. You've shown through the test of money that you love this world and not Jesus. So James keeps going in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, 
For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, James is saying, when you experience testing, know this. If you feel tempted to do evil, it's not coming from God. It's coming from you. That's our text, verses 2 through 18. And we're going to talk about trials with the rest of our time. That's what this passage is about. It's about trials. We're going to begin by looking at what trials are. What are they? And then four truths from this passage that will help you remain steadfast in trials, okay? So we're going to talk about what are they, what is a trial, and then four truths from this passage that will help you remain steadfast in a trial. So here we go. What is a trial? In this passage, trials and tests are essentially the same thing. Okay, that word trial and that word test, they're synonyms. They basically mean the same thing. You can see it in verses 2 and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So trials are tests for your faith. You see it again in verse 12, the same thing. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test will receive the crown of life. So trials, tests, they are synonyms. A trial is a test, a test of your faith. Now, what do tests do? They're different kinds of tests. They do different kinds of things. Some tests, some trials, are simply determining whether you pass or you fail. So a trial in a courtroom is this. When you're in court, for a crime, they're trying to figure out whether you are guilty or not guilty. A COVID test is one of these. It's a pass or fail test. You are COVID positive or you are COVID negative. It's one or the other. Tests can do that. That's one kind of test. Other kinds of tests determine our strength in a given subject. So this is usually how our tests are at school. They're not usually just pass or fail. They'll give you a grade to determine how strong you are in math or physics or whatever. An 88 is stronger than a 50. The test tells you that kind of thing. That's another kind of test. Sometimes tests have another purpose. Some tests are given to us to make us stronger. So think about a time trial for a runner. So it's not, they're not actually in the big race but they're doing a time trial, a runner is. They're testing themselves to see how fast they are, but the actual test itself is making them a better runner. It's helping them. We talked about this in, when we were in 1 Peter. When you test gold to figure out if it's the real thing, what do you do? You melt it. That's how you can tell if it's real. 
But when you melt gold, you actually purify it because all the stuff that's not gold separates and you've got pure gold. The process of testing is actually making it better. So tests do that as well. And I think all three of those meanings for trial or test are in this passage. All those kinds of tests are intended here. So look, verse 3, we see the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. Okay, do you see that? That means the test here, the trial, isn't simply evaluating whether your faith is real or not. It's not simply evaluating how strong or weak your faith is, although they do that. You get to find out whether you're as strong as you thought you were. But this verse is saying that the test is actually purifying us. It's producing something. It's making us better. But then look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. This test is a little different. Do you see that? This test is determining whether you will receive the crown of life or not. If you stand the test, you receive the crown. If you don't, you don't receive the crown. Now, here's how these tests relate to each other, okay? Because there are different kinds of tests in verses 2 and 3 and verse 12. In your life, you will face many trials. You'll face lots of trials. This last year has been one big trial filled with lots and lots of little trials. You're in trials right now. Those trials are exposing how strong or weak your trust in God is. And verse 3 says that when you endure these trials, they're actually producing steadfastness in you. All of those little trials are part of one big trial, one big test. And the big test is this. When trials came throughout your life, did you run to Jesus or did you run away from him? The question is not, did you perfectly run to Jesus, or did you run to Jesus with perfect timing every instant a trial popped up? No. But it is, over the course of your life, as a whole, when trials came, did you run to Jesus, or did you run away from him? That's the big test. So based on all of that, Here's how I think we can define a trial, the trials that we go through in life. A trial is any challenge to your faith that shows your faith. And if your faith is real, that grows your faith. So a trial is any challenge to your faith that grows your faith. Wait, sorry, let me say that again. A trial is any challenge to your faith that shows your faith and if it's real, grows your faith. Challenge. It's a challenge to your faith. It's testing it. Because 
unchallenged, we can be fooled into thinking we're a lot stronger than we actually are. Or even we can be fooled into thinking we're something we're not. In college, I was with some friends. We were swimming together at a swimming pool, and I was watching one of our friends swim, and they were supposed to be a good swimmer, and I was watching them and thinking, no way. I could smoke them in a race. Easy. And I don't know who challenged the other first, but a, a race was proposed or a challenge. Who could swim back and forth across the pool as many times as possible with just one breath? And I lost. And this person doubled me in the number of times they went back and forth across the pool. It's really easy to think you're something you're not when you're not challenged. It is. This happens all the time. We have an inflated view of ourselves. You may think, I trust Jesus a lot, and nothing's going to shake my faith, and you lose your job tomorrow and your visa, and you freak out, and you realize, I was actually trusting myself. I just didn't know it when everything was going my way. Trials are challenges to our faith that show our faith. And if our faith is real, they grow our faith. Now, verse 2 tells us to count it all joy. What a phrase. What a thing to say to someone who's in a trial. Count it all joy when we meet various trials. I think the, way, the reason that James says it that way, count it all joy, is significant. He knows trials being, bring pain, they bring hurt, and you're going to have to tell your soul reasons for joy in the middle of your pain. You're going to have to count it all joy because it may not happen automatically. In the middle of your trial, when it hurts, when you feel sorrowful or confused, you're going to need to consider truth that allows you to see through the pain and hurt and count it as all joy. And I think that's what James gives us in this chapter. I think he gives us four truths that we can call to mind in our trials that will help us count them as joy and help us remain steadfast. So with the rest of our time, that's what we're going to do. We're going to see four truths that James gives to help you remain steadfast in trials. And we're going to go through them one at a time. Here's truth number one. Steadfastness is how you mature as a Christian. Steadfastness is how you mature as a Christian. Look at verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So follow James' logic here. He's saying that when trials test our faith, they produce steadfastness. So trials testing our faith are producing something. 
steadfastness. And then steadfastness has an effect. Your long-term steadfast faith produces something. It makes you complete in Christ. That's what that phrase, that you may be perfect and complete, he doesn't mean sinless. He just means that you might be a mature Christian in the image of Christ to the end. So there's a chain reaction here. You know what a chain reaction is? You knock something over, it knocks something over, it knocks something else over. Here he's saying the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and then steadfastness does something. It completes us. So James is saying there's something very important, not just about having faith, but about having faith that lasts for a long time through trials. Steadfast faith, faith that lasts and that has lasted for a long time through trials, creates things in your soul that short-term faith does not. So we talked about running earlier. If I were to give you a running test right now, you, I, I just said you've got to run as quickly as you can for the next 30 minutes, okay? Supposing that you did not die, supposing everyone here does it, you run for 30 minutes, that's going to produce something in you besides pain. The next time you run, you'll have a little bit more fitness than you did before. You'll have a little bit more endurance than you did before that 30-minute run. So the, the test, it does something. It does something for our endurance. But if you keep doing that again and again and again and again, running over and over and over, you will begin to experience benefits that just one run by itself cannot give you. So just running for 30 minutes once a year doesn't give you the benefits of endurance running over and over and over and over again. They say that there is such a thing as a runner's high. I don't know what that feels like. But they say once you've run for a long time and you've gotten really good at it and done it over and over again, there comes a point in your run that's almost euphoria, delight that's happening in your run. But you don't get there until you have been through trial after trial after trial after run after hardship after hard run so that your endurance is built up and you are able to enjoy a higher kind of joy in running than you can without. It's the same thing with being a Christian. You will not know the highest or maybe we should say the deepest joys of being a Christian without endurance. Please remember that. There are some trees, some cherry trees, they take seven years before they produce any fruit. Seven years. But it's worth it when they do. As a Christian, as soon as you come to Christ, your life will begin producing fruit 
but there is some fruit that will not grow in your life until you have been through many years of summer heat and winter frost. Remember this. Remember this. Young people, old people, remember this. You will not know the deep joys of the Christian life, the deep things that God will do in your soul without endurance, lasting, going on with Jesus for many years. That's how you know him deeply. It's how he changes you deeply. If you are looking for a quick fix, you're going to go to some conference, it's going to be some explosive experience that someone's going to lay their hands on you, everything's going to change from then on out, you're probably not going to find it, at least not what you think you're looking for. But if you treasure Jesus over the long course of your life through trial after trial after hardship, you will know him and treasure him and experience his peace and his comfort and his joy that you cannot know any other way. James wants us to remember that when trials come. They have a purpose. He wants us to think when we're in the middle of a trial. This hurts, but I know, God, you are producing steadfastness in me. And it will purify me, mature me, and complete me in Christ's image. Knowing that will help you count it joy in the middle of trial. Here's the second truth. Truth number two. If you remain steadfast, you get the crown of life. If you remain steadfast, you get the crown of life. Verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The reason the man or woman who remains steadfast under trial is blessed is because they will receive the crown of life, everlasting life. That's what's at the end. When you go through trials in this life and you run to Jesus, not perfectly, but you really do run to him, it shows you belong to Jesus. That's the big test of your faith. And what an encouragement to remain steadfast through those trials if you know that at the end there's a crown of life waiting. So if you're walking along a path, a path of life, it's a long path, it's a hard path, there are thorn bushes on either side of you, so you're trying to stay out of the thorns as much as you can. But every once in a while, there's a gateway that you've got to squeeze through. And because there are thorns everywhere, they've grown up real close to the gate. So every time you go through, you've got to squeeze, and you're getting scratched and scraped and cut. Would it make a difference if you knew that every time you pass through one of those gateways, you are getting closer to a kingdom where you would rest forever? If you know that every trial that scrapes and cuts you is a gateway that moves you closer to the crown of life, 
you can count it as joy as you pass through. Truth number three, temptation to sin comes from your own desires. Temptation to sin comes from your own desires. Look at verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, brings, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So here, James begins to write about a different kind of testing. We know that God tests people. He tests people throughout the Old Testament. He tests their faith. The Bible tells us so. So what he does to Abraham in Genesis 22 He does it to the people of Israel. He does it to Hezekiah. The Bible's clear. God is testing them. But James is talking about a different kind of test here that God does not actively do to us. He's talking about temptation. Temptation is when we are lured or enticed to sin. Do you see those words in verse 14? Lured, enticed. Those are fishing and hunting words. So when you put bait on a fish hook, you're putting something that a fish thinks is delicious on a hook to lure the fish into biting the hook so that you can drag it in and eat it. Temptation is baiting you to sin. It's, by, it's, it's baiting you by making sin look delicious you're trying to catch an animal in a trap, you entice it by putting food that it thinks is delicious in the trap so it comes close enough to get caught. Lured and enticed. The question that James is concerned with is this. If we're being lured to sin or enticed to sin, who is luring us? Who is it that's enticing us? Who is making sin, which is a trap or a hook? Who is making it look delicious? And James gives an earth-shattering answer. Your own desires. Where do desires for sin come from? They come from you. When you sin, you cannot blame anyone else for it. You cannot say, well, he was irritating me so much, I had to punch him in the face. I had to. James would say, no. You punched him because... Doing violence against that person, which the Lord has not called you to, looked more appealing to you than obeying God. That's why you did it. So don't blame your sin on anyone else or anything else. Own it. Own it. 
what James wants us to do. And this would be an appeal to you. <laughs> you don't know Jesus, or if you do know Jesus, this would be the ap- appeal. We think that if we keep our sin at arm's length, like if we don't take the blame for it, we blame other people or we blame our circumstances, we'll be happier in the long run. We feel that way. We never want to take the blame. But until you own it, yes, not only do I sin, but I sin because I wanted it. That's when you get to experience the depths of forgiveness. It's when you own it, and you take all of it, all of it, you own it, and you walk it to the cross, and you lay it on Jesus, who's hanging there, being punished on your behalf. That's how you know the depths of God's love and his forgiveness. Don't hold the blame at arm's length. Take it all to Jesus and know the greatness of his love and his forgiveness. Now, Christians, if you're going to remain steadfast, you have to understand that your own desires for sin are the root of your biggest problem. Because in the chain here, your own desires, they conceive, they bring forth sin, sin brings forth death. Death is our biggest problem. But at the root of it, is our own desires. You can try to cut down the plant of sin, but until you pull the roots up, it's just going to grow back. You've got to deal with your desires. You can't just manage your schedule better. I'm going to schedule my way out of drunkenness. I'm going to schedule my way. I'm going to manage my way out of sleeping around or gossiping or whatever it is. You're just cutting down the plant. If you don't deal with the root, your desires, the plant will keep growing. So here's how you apply this. You sin because your own desires make the hook of sin look delicious. Your own desires, and just a note, they're all different for every one of us. We all have different desires enticing us to different things. But you sin because your own desires are what is making the, the hook look delicious, the hook of sin. You sin because it seems most desirable to you in that moment, which means if you're not going to take the bait, you need to use the scripture to help expose to yourself how nasty the hook of sin really is. Use verse 15. It tells you that sin brings forth death. So focus your heart on that verse until you convince yourself, yes, that bait looks delicious, but I know that underneath is a rusty hook that's going to drag me to hell. Yes, 
The sin of flirting with my coworker who's not my spouse, that looks really delicious to me right now. But I know because of verse 15, underneath that is the rusty hook of sin that's going to drag me to hell. That's how sin loses its appeal. You've got to fight on the level of your desires. And that also means you've got to stir up your desires for the things that God loves. Verse 12, I want the crown of life. It's promised. Deal with your desires so that as time passes, you start to love lovely things and desire what's truly desirable and not the bait of sin. Here's the last truth, truth four. God is good. Look at verses 16 through 18. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. This final truth is crucial. When we're in a trial, and it's almost beyond a doubt that you are in some kind of trial. You might think that trials are big things, but your trial is your runny nose. That's a trial. It's a real trial. Your kid waking you up in the middle of the night, that's a trial. There are big trials, people in our families dying. Maybe your own death is imminent. This is crucial in all of them. You may be tempted to doubt God's goodness. How can God be good when this hurts so much? He must want me to sin or this wouldn't be happening to me. Maybe he's not good after all. Hold to this truth. God is good. And James is saying... He's not only good, he's where all goodness comes from. That's what James is saying. We do believe that God controls all things, both good and evil. He controls them. But he is not the spring of evil like he is the spring of good. All the goodness that you have ever known or ever experienced flows from who he is. That's not true of evil. Evil does not flow from who God is. By definition, evil is anything that does not reflect God. He's the father of lights. That's what James says. It means he's where all light comes from, all goodness. It's coming from him. There's no darkness or evil in him. He has no shadows. You need this when you're in a trial, in a test, when things are hard from the outside, or when you're struggling from the desires within you. It's easy to blame God. Know that you will be tempted to blame him. And James is saying, no. The desire comes from within you, but God is so good and pure and he's a gift giver, that's what James is saying, that if you come to him, he will not reproach you. We saw that last week. He won't turn you away. 
It's another reason we keep our sin at arm's length, because we think if we really bring it all, God's going to turn us back. And he will never turn you back if you come to him with your sin and your temptation and your trials. He is good. So come to this God through faith in his son. He'll give you every good gift that you need to strengthen you, comfort you, keep you in your trials. So count it all joy when your faith is tested. It will be. And use these truths to stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, keep us. Purify us. We want to know, Lord, a deep fellowship with you, and it comes through seeing you deliver us and keep us trial after trial. Help us to count it all joy when these trials come, looking forward to the crown of life. Thank you for your goodness. Help us now as we sing. Would our worship be sincere and would you be honored? We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we continue to worship together through songs.